This is a broadcast of SmallCapVoice.com, a financial communications and investor relations firm. SmallCapVoice.com receives payment for investor relations and financial consulting services that it provides to its clients. You should assume that officers, directors, and employees of SmallCapVoice.com or financial analysts mentioned and their families hold a position and intend to trade in these securities for their own accounts. This is not an offer or recommendation to buy or sell securities. Information in this broadcast is presented solely for informative purposes and is not intended to be nor should it be construed as investment advice. As in all investments, an investment in a featured company carries an investment risk. Listeners should review the company thoroughly with a registered investment advisor or registered stockbroker. This broadcast does not purport to be a complete study of the featured company or other companies mentioned. Information used and statements of fact have been obtained from the featured company and other sources but not verified nor guaranteed by smallcapvoice.com as to completeness or accuracy. Such information is subject to change without notice. You're wired in smallcapvoice.com. Following is a presentation of smallcapvoice.com, today's leader in investor relations, capital formation, and retail support. Now, with your online business briefing, smallcapvoice.com's Stuart T. Smith. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us once again here at smallcapvoice.com and our online business briefing program where we like to shine a spotlight on some of the smartest and freshest plays here in the small and micro cap markets. We're welcoming back to the show TerraTech Corp. Specifically, we'll be speaking with Derek Peterson today. He's the chief executive officer for the company. We want to dive deeper into some of the recent news. We want to get his personal insights on what the company's been up to and the moves that they've made. So with that, let's welcome Derek Peterson to the show. Derek, how are you doing today? Good, Stuart. Thanks for having us back on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. There's always a lot to talk about with TerraTech. That ticker symbol, TRTC. Pull up a press release. Go down to the About section. There's just a plethora of ways to get a hold of this company and some of their subsidiaries like IVEX and Bloom. So use those social outreaches to reach out to this company. But let's talk about the recent news and let's start off with uh, the TerraTech signing the second craft cultivator in the state of California. And I want to start there because you have another craft cultivator press release that we discussed in the last audio interview. Some follow-up questions about that with the cultivation and production facilities in Nevada. Uh, what kind of overhead comes with this? And are these vertical integration moves that make sense in the long term, but they can be a little spendy up front? Give us, uh, give us your take on this, Derek. Yeah, so the craft cultivator is done for two purposes. You know, for, first and foremost, we have our own cultivation footprint that we build out in multiple markets, right? So we're building one out in the Nevada marketplace. We're building some out in the California. That's a, that's a cultivation facility that we own directly. We operate, we staff, we decide what strains. There are a ton of very, very attractive, uh, high-quality craft cultivators that have existed in California for a couple decades that have been growing these proprietary genetics, proprietary strains for a long period of time. These very same cultivators are extremely concerned right now about the regulations that are coming downstream into 2018. They don't know how they're going to prep for that, staff for that. They don't have the admin backbone. So... They're looking for two things, either to align, sell to somebody or to align themselves with a bigger brand. So what we're doing right now is we're, out, we're kind of identifying a handful of these craft providers, and especially in the Emerald Triangle and some of the Appalachians up north, 
that have unbelievable product where we can take care of the admin backbone for them, the marketing, the advertising, the sales, and those types of things. So it's kind of a, a hybrid ownership structure. And so we're, we're using this as an opportunity. This kind of this, this regulation is forcing some measure of consolidation in the marketplace, and we want to use that consolidation as an opportunity to continue to build our brand. So some of these craft cultivators that we're bringing on, there's a little bit of a capex. We you know, we have to put a little bit of money into their facility and into transportation, into the infrastructure. But most of them, for all practical purposes, the infrastructure, the operations are already there. We just we handle the regulatory side of things. And because of that, we get a, a, a more affordable cost per pound of a product. Not quite the cost that we're generating on our own cultivation, cultivation facilities, but certainly not the expense it costs to buy in the wholesale market. So that cost of goods lands somewhere in the middle for us. Again, because we don't have the crop risk, we don't have the infrastructure risk, we didn't have the capex and the dilution associated with that. So our go forward, you know, say growth process, no pun intended, on the cultivation side is a combination of us aligning ourselves with these artisanal growers in combination with continuing to build out our own cultivation footprint. So those two strategies are what's ultimately going to shape our cultivation footprint in, this, in, in California. Makes a lot of sense. And speaking of what's going on in California, lots of moves being made. Let's talk a little bit about the retail dispensary operations in Santa Ana, California, via the Reserve OC Medical Cannabis Dispensary. So talk to us a little bit about this move and why you decided to uh, move in this direction. Well, for, for a few reasons. I mean, so we're trying to build the Bloom retail brand as is, is, is much as we can. So a big part of that is having, you know, diversification in multiple markets. In Nevada, we have Las Vegas very well covered. We have Reno very well covered. In California, we obviously have a grid presence up in the Bay Area with the Oakland facility, and we'll be opening up the San Leandro facility in the not-too-distant future. But it's always been an objective of ours to have some Southern California exposure. So we're focusing on Orange County, Los Angeles, San Diego from an M&A standpoint. The first deal we were obviously able to consummate was the Orange County location, which was great for us. It's literally 10 minutes down the road from our corporate office. It's in our backyard. That in and of itself is a huge opportunity for us because we can test different strategies at the retail level, different ways we merchandise, different products that we sell, the thought process that we potentially turn this into a training center for our other facilities where we do corporate training of our bud tenders and our operational staff and that type of thing. But it's a great location for us for a couple reasons. It's right off the 55 freeway. It's literally one exit right off. Uh, But more importantly, Southern California is relatively conservative in their approach to legalization of, of cannabis dispensaries. So there's a lot of areas down here that have more auditoriums and that are, are not going to allow brick-and-mortar dispensaries. So, you know, Newport Beach and, and Laguna Beach and, and places like that aren't going to have brick-and-mortars. And here we are in this facility with the opportunity not only to service the patients of Santa Ana, but we're now working with the city to try to get delivery permit or delivery options added to the permit where we can start delivering to some of these outlying areas that won't allow brick-and-mortar dispensaries. So not only are we in one of the biggest cities in Southern California, but in combination with that, we have the potential for outreach to multiple markets down here from that singular location. So there's a huge potential for upside uh, with that particular facility, which was why we kind of zeroed in on that Santa Ana project. Let's change gears and go on to the corporate side of things. We've discussed this before, I know, but the B-share conversion, it causes a little bit of confusion for the, let's say, the novice trader in some of these stocks. Talk to us a little bit about what happened with this B-share conversion. 
I, and I get that. So, you know, you back up uh, a couple months ago, the company had both common shares and preferred B shares. So the preferred B shares had a, an accelerated voting right associated with it. So basically for every preferred share that we own, we got 100 votes. In addition to that, originally there were some non-dilution aspects uh, associated with that preferred B shares in the case of a reverse split and things like that that they weren't reversible. So they were dilutive to the common shareholders. So the B shareholders and the executive team essentially made the decision to force convert those B shares into common shares. And we did that for a few reasons. A, it was the right thing to do, period, exclamation point. B, we wanted to align ourselves with the common shareholders. So as we sit today, we force converted those B shares, those preferred B shares into common shares for all the executives. So myself, our CFO, our COO, uh, the entire corporate staff, everybody is, is allocated common shares just like every shareholder that buys on the open market. So any piece of business that we do, issuing shares for mergers, issuing shares for financing, reverse splits, we feel the same impact of that as every common shareholder. And that was our way of just aligning our interests directly with the common shareholders. People say that all the time. We wanted to walk the talk. So our ability or, or the way that we were able to accomplish that essentially was for us to convert our preferred bees into common so that we are on the same playing field with every shareholder that's invested their hard-earned capital into our company. That's, that's really, really what took place over the last uh, month when we decided to execute that transaction, Stuart. Well, we've touched on the expansion into the California market. We've touched on the craft cultivation in California as well as Nevada. Let's talk about a product application here, uh, or excuse me, a patent application for the cannabis-infused rolling papers. Cool idea. Uh, obviously... This is an area that if you're filing a patent on, nobody else has done this yet. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, so the consumers are always trying to get higher levels of cannabinoids, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons the concentrates are growing piece of the business, the waxes and the shatters, the pre-filled cartridges, the oils. It's because, you know, your flour, you're anywhere from 18 to, to 30%. But a lot of these concentrated oils and, and concentrates, you can get, you know, 60, 70, 80% THC, higher levels of CBD and that type of thing. So we've come up with a way where we're able to infuse these cannabinoids inside the rolling papers. And that way, for somebody that actually likes rolling a joint rather than utilizing a vaporizer technology, they don't actually have to, you know, crumble up concentrates inside their their cigarette that they roll, they actually get a higher degree of cannabinoid infusion through the rolling paper itself. So we're working on dosing, we're working on the implementation impregnation process. We filed a provisional patent, so we have a year to refine this process before it turns into a full patent, and we're using that time for R&D and testing, but we feel very confident we're going to be able to bring a a very high-quality product to the market that's heavily laced with um, you know, like I said, different cannabinoids, depending on what people's, you know, uh, consumption needs and desires are, there'll be a certain milligram dosage of those cannabinoids per rolling paper. So again, if they want a higher degree of absorption for medical purposes or for recreational purposes, they'll be able to utilize a specialized rolling paper to accomplish that. Well, the company truly is diversified. And let's talk about one last thing here, which is Edible Gardens. They introduced a new line of its snippets, fresh cut herbs. I always like to talk about Edible Gardens because it's a step to the left or the right, depending on how you're looking at it, of your bez- of your regular business model. So talk to us a little bit about this. Yeah, that's basically a line of cut herbs. Cut herbs are a big piece of the marketplace that exists out there. They're a huge catalyst in terms of sales of uh, traditional agriculture. We produce a living line in pots. We produce a hydroponic living line as well. We produce 
uh, a cut line of lettuce, our butterhead lettuce, for example, is a cut head, um, and that type of thing. So um, we're expanding that particular brand, all the brands, out to the West Coast, and we thought it was timely for us to add a new, uh, a new SKU, a new market segment. Those were those small little packages of cut herbs, and so the snippets are just a small, a small package of cut basil, oregano, thyme, those types of things, which are basically, you know, significant consumables for people, and they throw them away when they're done using them if they don't use everything, and they're back to the store to repurchase it again. So it's just another SKU that we're uh, expanding and selling into the same retail chain that we have. We've built a good retail presence with major uh, major markets like Walmart and Kroger's and Marsh's, and so our business model was only not only to expand our retail footprint, but also to expand the product offerings that we're selling into the existing footprint. And this is just a prime example of that. And another thing that it's expanding is this market that Edible Gardens operates in. This non-GMO market grew more than $8 billion from 2012 to 2016. All that information is available in the press release that came out. August 22nd, use that ticker symbol again, TRTC. Hey, Derek, just a month ago, Terra Tech Corp signs letter of intent to acquire, acquire cannabis cultivation and production facilities in Nevada. That's the headline. We touched on this a little bit, but let's talk about the letter of intent and why you are working now with New Leaf Sparks Cultivation LLC and New Leaf Reno Production LLC. Go ahead. Yeah, the short of it, Stuart, just real quick, is is it was just a great deal for us. It was a great deal for them. They were looking for some capital partners to come in with some operational expertise. We were building a greenfield cultivation facility and extraction production facility down in Las Vegas. Obviously, when you build greenfield from the ground up, there's a lot of time and expense associated with that. So um, long story short, we ended up getting a huge savings off of what we were going to spend on that footprint down in the Las Vegas market. Uh, we got ended up spending less money with a bigger footprint doing a, you know, a joint venture with the New Leaf team. I've known them for a long time, their operating team for a long time. They operate Berkeley Patient Group, which is the longest continuous running dispensary in California. And so it's a great team with a tremendous amount of experience. So that combination, that value add in combination with us spending less money and getting a bigger ag- agricultural and production footprint was a no-brainer. So we're thrilled that that process and, and that deal is moving forward to closure. Uh, we're on track to close that deal up and to get the, everything transferred over at the state level. So we're excited about that. But in addition to that, we still hold the other permits from an expansion standpoint. So we still have the ability to build out those two other cultivation permits and those two other extraction permits. This essentially makes us the largest operator in the entire Nevada marketplace. Well, the company's locked and loaded here in 2017 and building the foundation for great growth in 2018. And it's sustainable growth with all these moves that you're making to support the production, to support the dispensaries that are there throughout Las Vegas. So we look forward to talking with you again, Derek, every time we talk to you. Like I said at the beginning of this interview, always a lot to talk about. Congratulations on a great year, 2017. We look forward to more great things here in 2017 and, of course, 2018. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Stuart. Talk to you guys soon. Take care. You bet. For Derek Peterson, this is Stuart Smith saying thanks so much for listening. Smallcapvoice.com, today's leader in investor relations, capital formation, and retail support, provides its clients with the highest level of service. Our audio interviews are disseminated to one of the largest opt-in audiences available today. How? We at SmallCapVoice.com believe in aligning and affiliating ourselves with other leaders within the investor relations community. By sharing resources, each affiliated firm is made that much stronger and each client is served that much better. 
Our focus is to identify and provide the very best financial services and solutions available to clients and their shareholders. For more information about our services, please call us at 512-267-2430 or visit us on the web at www.smallcapvoice.com.